0: the healthcare industry continues to set records for the number and severity of its cyber breaches, the United States government is starting to take drastic action in order to stop the bleeding. The audits, fines, and other measures that OCR and CMS are imposing on some of the largest payers, suppliers, and providers in the country are starting to change the way business gets done, and the ramifications of those changes could have a lasting impact on those listening to this program. Today, I'm joined in the studio by Jeremy Cowton. Jeremy is the Chief Information Officer and Senior Vice President of IT at VGM, and the recent author of a playbook on the subject of cybersecurity, where he warns that those who don't get serious about this topic are probably going out of business. Jeremy, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Brian. Happy to be here. So Jeremy, the, I guess the first question that I want to ask is why now? Cybersecurity isn't anything new. The internet has been around for a long time. So why, why is it that we're just now putting out this lengthy cybersecurity playbook and trying to get our members on board with it?
1: Well, the best way I would answer that is exactly to your point, cybersecurity in healthcare is nothing new, whether it's weekly, monthly, there's new data breaches announced frequently. The main driver for this playbook would be uh, driving home the point that beyond cyber breaches, beyond HIPAA requirements, vendors, referral sources, insurance companies, anyone that sends PHI or HIPAA covered data to you is likely to present you with an audit. Here at VGM, I've been presented with audits for the last, probably going on four years. My second week at VGM, I did receive a lengthy audit. It was 300 questions I had to answer those precisely within two weeks. It appears that beyond everything else, the audits from a vendor who sends patient data to you is likely to happen. And so helping our members get ready to handle one of these audits is the, the main reason for the white paper.
0: So my understanding is that we're already starting to see our members get hit with these. We already have members calling us and saying, holy cow, I just got a 300-question audit. I don't even know what half of the stuff on it is or means. Help. Right. So
1: every so often I get a call from a member and it might be a security related question. I refer to those as incidents, the situation they want guidance on. In recent months, I've been getting calls from members that received one of these audits. And when when your IT department's presented with 300 questions that dive deep into the internal processes at your organization, several members have have reached out to me directly and asked for assistance in doing this. And uh, I, I don't see it getting any less. I see it being more, especially if a referral source insurance company has had a recent breach themselves.
0: Okay. So what about the member who says, you know, oh, but come on, Jeremy, you know, I'm, I I can fly under the radar here. I'm a small business and I have, I have these great relationships with my referral sources and with my vendor partners and with the the payers that I rely on for my business. We've, we've been doing business together for 20 years. That's not going to change. What do you say to that person? To that person, they
1: have a good point. Uh, Relationships do go a long ways when you're receiving any type of an audit, whether it's an accounting audit, any other form of an audit. A relationship does help. But at the end of the day, when a company is trusting you with their data and PHI is rich with data that hackers want, social security numbers, insurance IDs, a lot of data inside of there, when they're going to continue sending you that data, they want you to prove you're handling it the exact same way they would. Because if you breach their data as a third party, when it has to go out into the public, whether it was a third party or not, you're impacting
0: their brand and their name. Sure, and they can't possibly do enough business with you to make that worthwhile to them.
1: Yes, and it, if if they're sending you thousands of referrals and thousands of patients, you're gonna find they're gonna make their way to you first. If you're only getting a handful. Um, but at the same time, companies are putting together plans to make sure everyone's treating their data the same. Even here at VGM, we when we're using a third-party vendor, whether it's a uh, coffee, someone fill up the coffee machine, or if it's someone we're actually sending patient data to, we're auditing them as well. And
0: so let's take a step back. So why is it that the bad guys, Jeremy, are so? very interested in the patient information. If I'm a, if I'm a listener, especially if I'm a small practice, I might be thinking, you know, I handle patient records every day. They're, they're pretty mundane. Why is it that the bad guys want these things so bad? And what, what is it that they can do with them or get from them that make them so valuable?
1: In recent years, credit card numbers, checking account numbers, everything to do with financial has always made the news going back to the target breach, then home Depot um, both of those are credit card breaches. Everyone thinks of cybersecurity and cyber breaches as financial. Something that, and this has been predicted by our industry, by our industry meaning uh, the cyber cyber community, sure. that healthcare is much more rich than a financial record. So, for example, a credit card is of value to a hacker, but a social security number and a date of birth and a current address, you could open 10 credit cards. Uh, With that same information, you could file false tax returns coming off of tax season. That was probably one of the major uh, hurdles that the IRS had to deal with, was fraudulent taxes. It's easy. You can get a new credit card the same day from your bank. You can't get a new social security number. So that alone makes a healthcare record very rich. In addition to that, Medicare IDs, insurance IDs, people's cell phone numbers. I'm sure everyone listening gets a phone call periodically with someone trying to trick you into doing something, trying to get your credit card number. The more information they have about a certain victim that they're trying to attack, the more that they can do with that. So they're calling someone's cell phone trying to get more information and they can uh, use that against them. So hackers, I believe it was 2018 and for sure in 2019, the number one target for a hacker is a healthcare record.
0: So you mentioned in the playbook as well, and I thought this was interesting, you talk about the prevalence also of false billing. So a hacker gets your Medicare ID and a bunch of your patient records, and they can use that apparently to submit Medicare claims, insurance company claims. It seems like there's a lot of money tied up in that as well. Jeremy, can you speak to that a little bit?
1: There is. Some of those stories I've heard, a lot of it has to do with pharmaceutical uh, purchases. So, for example, if a hacker can get a hold of a thousand patient records with insurance information, they can go out to an online pharmacy that sells uh, prescription drugs. A lot of times they partner with a pharmacy who's a little sketchy with their uh, protocols, but they will rack up pills or other pharmaceuticals build the insurance or medicare and then they will receive those drugs and then sell those drugs on the black market so oh, wow. hack- so they're double dipping a little bit there actually triple because then when they're done you can take that same record and sell it to someone else and they can do the same thing all over again it usually takes months upon months to ever figure this out so as a hacker you can make money three ways
0: off of the same patient record okay well that definitely explains why they're so keen to get this stuff and it also explains why HIPAA has so many regulations that relate directly to security, and this is something that I think our listeners really need to hear because I think a lot of I think a lot of people know that HIPAA has these privacy rules, but they don't think as much about the security rules. So can you speak a little bit about the compliance side of it? when you're audited by either one of your business partners or by the government, be it OCR, CMS, whatever. What are the sorts of things that they're looking for that you think somebody listening might be surprised to learn that they are in fact responsible for and that they they might not actually be fully compliant because they're not doing?
1: Well, if I look back, I believe it was 1998, the first time I'd ever heard of the word HIPAA, I don't think I knew exactly that it had two A's and one P. So 1998 and then I believe 2002, 2008. So over the past decade, it's primarily been a self-regulated law. So here's a set of rules. Follow these. There wasn't a HIPAA police out there per se. Sure. Um, Even, I don't know, maybe six, eight years ago, there weren't HIPAA police. So uh, OIG and the Department of Health and Human Services in the last five years or so have really made that clearer. They've defined that a little bit deeper, but some of the questions that are specifically asked on some of these assessments are backups. Backups are good. The quality of your backups, how far back can you go? Um, another one that people typically aren't prepared for is a BCDR plan, so that's Business Continuity
0: Disaster Recovery Plan. The ability to recover should you have an issue. Right, because you have patients who are relying on you for care, and so you need to have some kind of procedure in place to make sure that they continue to receive that care. Exactly. Or in the event
1: of, a, of an incident, could you produce what actually happened? I think a lot of cyber breaches, for example, ransomware. Someone gets ransomware, it locks their files without the proper backups and so forth. It's, hard, it's difficult to confirm whether the data was leaked out or not. So. Okay. Okay. Another other questions are what we term in the IT community is next generation firewalls. So a firewall that's modern, that is updated daily against against new attacks. Many uh, internet firewalls, which that's the box in front of the internet at your office, uh, were put in a few decades, uh, at least a decade ago, and those don't update daily like some of the more modern software updates. A lot of us use Microsoft Windows. Or whether you're on an Apple iPhone and the manufacturer knows of a flaw in their code and they release an update, do you have a protocol and a procedure to update quickly when a release is out? Along with that, insurance, cyber insurance, that's, that's a big question by uh, vendors frequently to figure out if you were to have an issue, are you funded in order to deal with this?
0: Let's talk a little bit about insurance, Jeremy, because I thought it was interesting that when you wrote the playbook... You might expect in a playbook about cybersecurity that your first recommendation is going to be, oh, get one of those next generation firewalls, buy some new computers, hire an IT guy that you can trust. But instead, the first recommendation that you chose to make was you need to get yourself some cyber insurance. Tell me why that's important and tell me why that's becoming a more and more common requirement that business partners, the government, people are looking for providers to have.
1: Well, I believe that insurance is likely the first step that someone should do, and there's a few reasons for that. So one example is when you are getting audited by a company and you can answer confidently and supply your cyber insurance policy, it gives them comfort that you've taken the time to purchase insurance. They also know that if for some reason your practices, your protocols, your insurance or your uh, technology isn't the mature level that it should be. They at least know they have something to fall back on. Okay. A second piece of that is in order to get insurance underwritten, they'll ask your IT department a series of questions in order to write the policy. Right. They're not going to
0: assume the risk if you have no security whatsoever in place.
1: Yeah. So in a way, you know, you can call it a free audit, a free assessment. But the business owner, once they've purchased that insurance, they likely know where they stand as far as their security posture.
0: And they also probably have some access to some information and resources that they may not otherwise have. You made the point in the playbook. I noticed that the insurance companies, it, it costs them less to educate you and, and to help prepare you against cyber threats than it does to pay on your claim. If, if you have a breach or if you end up getting fined. So
1: you're exactly right. Just
0: buying cyber insurance will help
1: elevate your security what I would call your security posture and maturity. Sure. Uh, just going through that process.
0: Okay. I highly recommend that people read this playbook. There's a lot of great information in here. You obviously took a lot of, of time and care in, in getting this ready to prepare our membership and our listeners for what's coming. But if somebody doesn't read the playbook, what... Would you like to leave that in their minds as something they need to be thinking about with regard to security and compliance as they go away from here? What would you consider to be the, the most crucial, important advice? Well, the
1: most important advice would be to start an initiative to get, a, get further ahead than they are today. And so if they don't have the time to read the playbook, I'll, I'll cover just a few things. So insurance, we've talked about that. Another piece would be education of employees. Many of the breaches you see in the news today are likely because a human was tricked
0: into doing something. So they clicked that link in an email or opened that attachment that suddenly released the the malware into your network and now you've got a breach on your hands.
1: Exactly. And and that could be
0: a large company that
1: had all of these security protocols in place, but there was still a person tricked into doing something they shouldn't. And so educating employees of the threats of cyber is is a huge win. Along with insurance and education, it's a fairly quick turnaround time. A lot of IT, let's say you were going to put in a new firewall or you were going to put in a next generation antivirus. A lot of that takes time and money and you might not reap the benefits for weeks to months. Educating your employees, even if you have very minimal security tools at your fingertips, just educating employees of what not to do, they could be preventing a breach every single day. But as far as starting small and kind of back to what you should do, there's a few members that I've talked to that were starting to get prepared for this. And so as they're doing different things, such as buying new computers, getting new phones for their employees, if they start working on this so that when they do get an audit or an issue comes up, it's not taking on the entire thing at once. And I'll give you an example. We had two or three different members I was talking to about BYOD, and so you'll see that acronym used inside of the uh, inside of the playbook. Bring your own device, and that's a technical term that we call BYOD in uh, the tech community. Employees that bring their own computers to work, whether it's a laptop, an iPad, a phone, that is a big risk that a lot of healthcare providers, the patient data is residing on a computer. So the person, the employee is doing the right thing, They want to be helpful with the company to work from home, or they want to save the company money by not having a second laptop, or if they have a desktop machine that can't leave the workspace, they'll use their own computer. Sure. And so a lot of times I advise people starting to buy the equipment or taking the right measures if they're not putting patient data on uh, personal employees' devices.
0: So start small, but start somewhere, as you wrote in the playbook, is the point we're trying to make here then. Exactly. All right. Well, Jeremy, I understand that you're also going to be presenting at Heartland Conference, which is another reason why uh, if our listeners haven't registered for that or aren't thinking about going yet, they should definitely come uh, and hear a little bit more about what you have to uh, to say on this topic. Uh, we will, in the show notes, have a link to the Heartland Conference website, and I also will link to the landing page for the playbook. Folks, this is uh, there's a lot of great information in here, and this is definitely something that you are going to want to get out ahead of. I strongly urge you to take the time and go grab that playbook. There will be other great information there. If you're not sure where to start, VGM has a number of, of qualified experts and uh, services with regard to just about every recommendation that you made, I think, Jeremy, that our members can take advantage of, usually at a discount. So... Yes, lots of good information there, folks. Make sure that you protect yourselves. Jeremy, do you have any any final thoughts that you'd like to leave with our listeners before we sign off today?
1: Yes, I think I would like everyone to keep in their mind that the moment a referral source who sends you business sends you an audit and says, fill this out in order to complete doing business with me or will no longer be a customer, it is very disruptive. It's not a good feeling. Definitely take this to heart. Be ready for it. If that does happen to you and you need assistance, reach out to your VGM rep, uh, call any of us here at VGM. Get a hold of me if you need to, and we'd be happy to help uh, help you through it.
0: All right. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time today, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing what you have to say on the topic at Heartland, sir. Thank you.